Hello and welcome to the Apartment Academy podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Cunningham. Uh, The Apartment Academy podcast is the multifamily industry's only operations-focused podcast, which features insights from industry leaders, investors, vendors, and technology providers. So if you invest in multifamily real estate or you're involved in day-to-day on-site operations of apartment buildings, we are your source for efficient operations and maximizing ROI. Today's guest is Maria Pietroforte, who um, had very interesting things to say about a subject that's really near and dear to the hearts of many that are um, in day-to-day on-site operations, which is dealing with with very difficult, uh, dare say toxic residents. There is a method to that uh, that you are going to be very interested to hear in order to keep yourself out of trouble and um, resolve things in hopefully a way that, that, that uh, makes everybody happy. So let's listen in. Hi, Maria. Welcome to the Apartment Academy podcast. Hi, Daniel. So, Maria, you um, you have a very interesting background. Um, I think that it's worth sharing with uh, with our listeners before we we jump right in today. Would you mind telling us a little bit about how you came to be in the position you are today? Absolutely, it's my pleasure to do that. Well, first of all, many people think that I have a Cinderella career, and how that came to happen is that <laughs> I always, yeah, I always took on the difficult um, tasks. You know, I was a problem solver and I became president of a management company in California before I was ever a vice president. And that doesn't happen that often in the industry. From there, I faced different vertically integrated companies. I love the development side. So I have been president of management companies on the East Coast, on the West Coast, and those that had a footprint all the way up to Alaska. Additionally, I was president of RentNet, which then turned into Move.com. So I've crossed over to the supplier side and back again. There's there's probably not much that you haven't seen uh, in terms of, of issues and, and challenges in, in multifamily operations. But we're going to talk about something very narrow today, um, but but which still I, I, I'm guessing is probably maybe the number one most common um, most common source of of friction, most common source of um, of demoralization in community in property management, um, which is. And I, and I want to preface this by saying this is minority of people that live at apartments, but you have toxic residents. I mean, it is a business. One of the unique things about being in property management is you are dealing with a cross-section of humanity and you are going to have all kinds in represented in that cross-section. And um, some people are difficult um, for a number of reasons. And then we're not talking about people that just have problems and they want you to solve their problem, but we're talking about people that are really um, adversarial in nature. And as a community manager, it's your job to stand and, um, and def- try to diffuse those situations to, to, you know, work things out with a person like that to hopefully they leave feeling like they were heard and, and that their problems been, been addressed. But that is not easy. And so, um, as one of the more difficult challenges, having some with your experience, coming up to, to make some suggestions and talk a little about that, I think is super valuable. So um, let's start off, you know, just some examples of, um, of areas where this becomes a problem. Some examples of tox, 
toxic residents coming into play and, and how the, those are dealt with? Well, first of all, I always say every apartment community has that one resident, that one special resident that um, we need to go to the hair salon and have our hair dyed after. <laughs> Not me, but... <laughs> I think that the common one is when the resident thinks there's something wrong in their apartment and let it be mold, you know, that's a popular topic. And they tend to exaggerate, you know, so they'll either get on the phone or come in to your office and get in your face, so to say. And they always like to say that I've called you 50 times and I've reported this a hundred times. And we know that that's not true. We know that we've taken maybe three calls, three work orders, and we've sent somebody out there timely. And their story is exactly the opposite. Usually they will end up threatening us in some way, especially with social media nowadays. So they're kind of coming at you through a lot of different things. And I think the first thing that I can suggest to anybody that takes that call is that you need to calm yourself down. So there's different strategies, first of all, but always calm. So deep breath, get a pad out, always have a pad and a paper, whether you're on the telephone or you're in person, because this forces you to not say anything and to take notes. I think the biggest mistake that we make is that we want to defend ourselves and we want to tell them that they're wrong. They only called us three times. Don't do that. You know, you need to just listen, you know, listen to what they have to say and take notes. If you can do that and stay calm and take the notes, they're going to vent on you. And then you can ask them when they're finished venting. Thanks for sharing that story with us. What would you like us to do? And then see what they say. So that's that's a fairly easy one with a fairly simple conclusion, but we can go into some deeper ones. Yeah, I I think that um, I think that's probably what you just described. Many property managers would call that uh, Monday. <laughs> right? yeah. Like that's just a, a, almost a daily occurrence. Um, uh, things can be more confrontational than that. Right. You can have um, you can have residents that are right. So talk a little about that. You're in, you're in um, you're in some a situation with somebody that's really not maybe rational or reasonable. How do you how do you contend with a situation like that? Well, the first thing that I do, and let's make this example that they're in your office, because that's when it's a, it seems to scare people. You know, um, a lot of people do what they do is they tend to want to take this really crazy resident into their office. I highly recommend that you don't do that. Many times that's our, our instant thinking is let's get them behind a closed door where everybody doesn't hear them. My recommendation, first of all, is to keep them public. You know, that, that allows you with a little bit of safety, but it's also people don't like being ugly when they're in front of others. So it may naturally cause them to tone it down a little bit, you know, so things that you need to do when somebody is like that is you slow your pace of talking. So talk slower, 
which for me, that's always a stretch because I'm animated and I'm hyper, but talk slower, talk lower so that they have to focus on listening to you. That starts to calm them down. Be at the same level. If they're standing, you're standing. I would try to get them to sit down and I'm pretty assertive with these things. I would sit right next to them. You don't want to sit across with a barrier in between you. I love to pull up a chair right next to them where I'm almost knee to knee because I'm in their personal space and that usually helps deflect some of that negative energy. Now, a couple of things that I always tell my teams that we won't tolerate is if they're threatening us or if they're cussing at us, I'm going to ask them, you know, if you don't mind, can we just take this down a notch? You know, I really want to hear what you have to say, even though you know that there's maybe no result and it's there's really nothing you can do. You know, they just like to come in and complain and they're always unhappy and, you know, there's something going on. But I take it down. And again, I always take notes and I'm going to let them know I'm going to take notes because you're really important to me and I want to make sure I get everything down. So those are just a couple things. I tend to see managers wanting to call the police and threatening people. I don't like to do that. I think that that makes things worse. I do think if you need to close off the conversation, you may need to say that, you know what, this isn't a really good time for us right now. Why don't we come back when we're less emotional? Now, you're taking risks with that in saying it, but you need to come to a conclusion if they're just not going to be someone you can deal with. So I always try to keep it on the positive side, uh, but it doesn't always go that way. So you may have to ask them to leave and then you may need, you know, to call your regional, the police, whatever. It just depends. The other thing is, if you do have any type of guards at your property or security type of personnel and or even a maintenance manager that you can trust that you feel more comfortable with somebody like that around have them just be lingering in the background is there what what were your policies or what do you suggest the policy should be at properties um where residents are um are are you know belligerent are using are verbally abusive i i was i was um i was sitting in on a discussion earlier this week where um, it was a round table of property managers talking about this and and it really ranged from you know zero tolerance if you if you uh, if somebody abuses part of the staff we evict them uh to on the other side of the spectrum was well we give them warnings and then we give them written warnings and then we and um and I think probably the answer is somewhere in the middle there. I, I think that it's probably, it's not against the law and probably to be belligerent, to be a jerk. Um, and it's probably not something you can evict people for. I don't think the judge would take kindly to that. But but um, just how much leeway do you, do you give um, residents to be um, abused, verbally abusive, verbally abusive to the staff? How I typically handle that is I like to, first of all, remind myself that we're all human and that we're all possibly flawed and we don't know what else is going on in people's lives. So I like to come at it from a solution orientation. You know, I want to solve this and have a happy ending. Maybe I'm, you know, a little bit 
too much in love with a white picket fence um, syndrome, but our job is to provide wonderful customer service. So when we get somebody that's continually like that, if I'm the on-site manager, I typically want to step it up one. And I will usually suggest bringing your regional manager, maybe the two of you sit down with this individual and talk. Now, at companies that I've worked on, those are the type that I love to take. You know, it's the the really difficult person that nobody seems to be able to settle down. To me, that's my favorite because I want to try to provide a happy conclusion. So I like handling those. But what happens with that is that, again, we're trying to create harmony, if at all possible. So once we've gone from the site to maybe a regional or somebody else, you know, trying to, in a sense, mediate the scenario, not saying that there's fault on one side or the other, but just trying that one more time before we start giving notices, thinking about eviction and those things, you know, because that's not what we really want to do. So I like to have one more conversation. And in that conversation, prior to actually, the manager and the regional or who whoever the two people are, we should talk about possible outcomes. You know, what possibilities can we offer this person to see if we can make this a happy place before we say you can never come to the office again and all of that. And I've had all those things happen. So many times the conclusion is, is that I am so sorry, you know, we're not going to be able to make you happy you know, this just doesn't seem like the place for you to call home. So why don't we do this? You know, you've paid your rent. Would you like to move out by the end of the month and we'll waive, you know, we'll waive any notices. You know, we're not going to charge you a lease break fee and we could part ways and have a start over, you know, you with a new home and us with a new resident. And it still keeps us. Yeah, well, that would be win-win for everybody. Yes. And that's what I think you want. I think we have to be careful that too many times it's all about the rules and it's not about the person and it's not about the social media press you're going to get on it. So I like to always think it through. Speaking of rules, um, there, you know, there, there are fair housing guidelines that are in place to prevent you know, one person from being treated differently than another because of their race, color, creed, sexual orientation, et cetera, familial status. Um, and um, these discussions, I think sometimes can be misconstrued as possibly, right, uh, possibly violating kind of a fair housing agreement if if any one of those protected class characteristics come in comes into the discussion how do you what would you coach uh, around around that that particular pitfall of dealing with with residents well first of all i highly recommend i mean that every management company absolutely puts their team members through fair housing training on an annual basis not just one and done you know when you start i'm a firm believer in that it helps to protect the company and it keeps everybody educated so now that I've said that, uh, yes, we need yes to, table stakes. Yeah, yeah, we need to be careful in the vocabulary that we use, you know. And some of that is just like you know, you can't say you or you know. There's certain ways that you don't want to talk to somebody that's going to 
either give them the opportunity to file a fair housing suit or give them the impression that you're um, treating them differently because of some factor about themselves. So I think that companies need to do role playing with these type of scenarios. I'm a big role player is uh-huh. put two people and how I like it to be done, Daniel, is you and I would be sitting back to back. So we're not looking at each other and having the conversation because that's more like on a phone call. And then we would be standing up in front of the room and acting it out. You know, you have that belligerent resident come in and we're going to have that belligerent resident actually be throwing out some of the discriminatory things so that our response back isn't and all because it is about our vocabulary. There's, you know, there's so many words nowadays that somebody may think that you're insinuating, you know, they're in a class that should be protected. So you have to be careful what pronouns you use these days. Absolutely. And that's the whole thing. Like you people, you shouldn't be saying you've got to be careful if you're saying mothers or women. It's a lot more difficult nowadays. It's a tightrope. And how do you um, because there can be a lot riding on these discussions, what do you what do you suggest uh, in terms of documenting those interactions, um, sort of providing some backup that in the, those instances where it goes beyond um, into a, 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 some kind of lawsuit or a fair housing complaint, um, what should be the best practices in terms of documenting these kinds of interactions? You need to document, you need to document in your software so that it'll live, it'll be there forever. So every conversation that you have with a resident needs to be translated into a memo, into whatever software you're using. That's first and foremost. I'm an apps, whether you're on the phone. Now, what I used to do is when I would go to a property and take care of one of these calls, I would actually sit at their computer with people watching me do it. I'd have the screen pulled up on the computer and I'd be taking notes on the computer while I was talking because I'm a big believer in you've got to document Now, if you've got one of these people that we're talking about, the really, you know, the ones that we see as potentially risky, whether it's a lawsuit or whatever else they might be getting into, I sometimes have a witness, just like you would if you were dealing with an employee scenario, you always have two people. Yes. So in a scenario where the person is highly volatile, I would have two of you, you know, and you both sit down. Now, one of them might be sitting across and one is a little bit closer if it's you know, if it feels okay to do that, um, never act adversarial, you know, try to be kind and professional. That way, again, you're diffusing it already. You know, you've got to watch your tone and take great notes. I've had somebody once try to record it or film it. Don't do that. You know, it's not permissible by most companies. It's not allowed and it's just not ethically a good scenario, but take notes you know, have both of you taking notes and then again, translate them into their resident file. And I highly recommend not a paper, but in the computer system. Yes. Yeah. That all sounds, that all sounds ideal. And at what point you earlier, you mentioned, um, you know, trying to come to a good conclusion before taking other steps. One of the steps that I heard you mention was talking about um, uh, banning them from the office. Well, is that a reasonable approach if if things can't get resolved by the, the trying to the white picket fence methodology? 
In my mind, no, because what you're doing is you're treating them like a child on detention or restriction, and that's never going to produce a good outcome. You know, it's going to backfire on you, but properties do it. You know, I had one at a company that I recently worked at do that, you know, and I think they did it because the person was drinking too much coffee in the office. I just don't think that that's the right (laughs) I don't, you know, again, in every company, every leader might have different twists on things. I come from a people orientation, you know, my, my loyalty first and foremost is to my team. Through my team, we're going to be wonderful service operators, you know, to our end customers. But, you know, my job is to make sure that my team is equipped, they're safe, they're feeling good about their job and our decisions. But again, when it comes to restricting them from the office, for me, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't suggest that. I just don't think you're resolving anything. For their, you know, what would, you know, what would they imagine is the ideal outcome of this discussion? It's pretty interesting when you ask that question. It's the question that we tend to forget to ask. Right. And and if they, if they come up with something that sounds, you know, doable, well, then you've, you've, you've have, they've solved the problem for you, I guess. Uh-huh. Now, as we were saying earlier, you know, we do deal with this, the, a, you know, a cross section of people uh, and um, from time to time, um, that means that you, you will encounter mental illness. Um, And that's, I I have had personal, um, I have had some personal um, incidents where residents, we had residents that were clearly like had, had mental illness, needed help. Um, at what point, Maria, do you, uh, as a, as a property manager, do you, do you reach out to the police and, and, um, you know, as, as kind of a last measure, if you have somebody that you suspect, well, if, if a, they're being, maybe they've made threats or B, if you, I mean, how do you deal with somebody who who might be mentally ill? Well, first thing that I would do is I pull out their resident file you know, I want to see what's in there. I want to see who their emergency contact is. You know, I'm also going to talk to upper management and find out what are you comfortable with me doing? Is there, you know, so that we fully vetted everything. I've had that scenario often. You know, that is not an uncommon one nowadays. You know, so whether it's mental illness, drug addiction, alcoholism, you know, abuse, there's all sorts of things like that. If there's somebody in the file that we're allowed to contact, you know, then we may want to reach out to them. Again, it all depends on, you know, how your policies are, how your paperwork is. The other thing that we've done is we've actually reported them to um, local authorities on health, you know, mental health. You know, there's a lot of agencies that you can call to have them try to help them first you know, before you call the police, you know, so if you, if you think about it, just like when a resident experiences something tragic in their life, you know, we tend to go out, whether it's to the Red Cross, to a charity to try to get help. I come from that place. Can I help them? Not that I'm going to be their counselor, their mother, their doctor, you know, anything like that, but you do have resources to try to connect that first. Now, again, if it's security and danger, then you go the police, you may have to go the police route. 
but I would definitely first engage in some type of a mental health organization that might be able to come in and, you know, and basically meet with the person and see many times they need to go into special housing, you know, or live in a community that is equipped to help them. That must be a sticky situation as well, because, you know, you have the, uh, you know, we are guardians of, of personal information uh, for our residents. We're not allowed to disclose. So the, um, ability to go outside to an organization and say, we feel we may have somebody who's, you know, could use your services as potentially mentally. I mean, that must be fraught with peril as well. And probably something that should be discussed internally before those steps are taken with senior management. I absolutely recommend internally, you know, whether if, if the company has an in-house lawyer, you know, your lawyer, but definitely vet it, you know, into the corporate office. You need to have it well documented and know what you're going to do because there's also HEPA real, you know, regulations that, you know, we don't know a whole lot about, but we do know doctor patient and all of that. So we want to be careful, uh, you know, with that scenario. We also don't want to be accusing somebody of having mental health issues. Right. You know, right. It's, it's so delicate. So to me, I always think that if you do things out of love, heart-centered, care, but smart, tactical, you know, um, procedures, that combination, I think, levels us out. So we're still thinking about people first, but we're following, you know, a specified process that provides some protection for the company. Because as a manager, your job is to prevent liability and um, bad press, you know, for your company. So it's it, yeah. gets, it yeah. gets touchy. Managing apartment communities nowadays is much more complicated from a human aspect than it used to be. You know, there's so many new things that we need to be aware of. Yeah, one of those things that people from outside the industry wouldn't really understand. You said something I want to I want to follow up on, which is. Um, you could reach out to a contact if you have permission. Um, is there some? Is there a best practice you would suggest to multifamily operators to make sure that that permission is expressed somewhere? How do you how do you discern uh, and and make it clear that you have permission to reach out to an emergency contact in a situation like that? Gosh, I mean, I'm thinking like from a paperwork standpoint, Maria. Like, how do you? There's two places that that information is usually. Uh, document it either on the application. Many times there's emergency contact or somewhere in the leasing, you know, paperwork when you're first getting them to move in, you're asking for phone numbers and things like that. So what I would say, and, and I'm not sure that there's a little waiver that says we have permission, you know, to contact these people. Um, I can't remember that because how often are we really thinking in advance? But i that's the two places I would look. The third scenario would be, again, in your software, you know, is there a checkbox? But just because we checked the box, you know, it doesn't show that they gave us permission. You know, we may have checked the box on our own. So it's an interest, that's an interesting one. I'd have to think that through you know, and look at every state's different too, you know, in their lease, in their lease uh, format, 
you know, depending on your state, there could be something different and your application could be different. You know, I don't know whether everybody's using, you know, NEAs or what they have. So the scenarios, it's, it's definitely a great, I like that. I kind of want to know now. So don't be surprised. You and I can work on that and figure it out. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll share it on another episode. It's one of those, um, look, it doesn't happen enough that people like you and I know the answer off the top of our heads. Um, but like when it happens, you'd like to have a process in place. Um, let me let me switch gears on you a little bit um, as we kind of wind, wrap up. Um, and let's talk about the emotional impact that all of this um, weighs on operators, the community managers, the service managers who are on the receiving end of this. Um, how can companies support them? Because it, it is a lot it's 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 a job unlike i think almost any other um that you're expected to you know wrestle with you know the accounting and the leasing but but then there's this emotional component that not everybody is really well girded uh to um to support so what how how can you how can how can companies support their managers through these kinds of episodes? What what kind of self-care should managers be thinking about service managers to get through this? Well, I'm going to start with the personal side for the person, you know, breathing deeply, you know, before and after those scenarios, you know, kind of breathing in, you know, and letting out the toxic, you know, the toxic experience that you just had you know, that there's an energy to that, you know, even bringing your arms up, you know, and down. I think that if let's just pretend that we were in the office, you know, or in the clubhouse, getting out and walking around the building, you know, helps just to, mm-hmm. you know, with maybe some self-affirmations that I care about people. I'm a good manager. You know, I want the best for everyone, you know, just things that kind of get you back to centered. Um, I think on the company side, it's really important that the support staff for the property teams are available. And it's the thing that I find is a miss sometimes is that you can call your regional, text your regional, and they're busy. So they're not able to get back, but then maybe you can go to HR. You know, there's always HR should be a department that you could go to, to more or less talk about the scenario. That also gives you another way to document it. You know, you've gone and you're kind of self-checking yourself, you know, with it. You know, you might take five or 10 minutes and go and listen to a podcast. Keep a daily, maybe affirmation book. I've got one. It's, you know, positive affirmations for the highly effective professional. I have all (laughs) sorts of those. Uh You could keep it by your desk. There's cute calendars with it and look at something that's uplifting and all. And just really, you know, kind of give yourself a hug. It's not always easy, you know, to navigate these scenarios. And I think that self-love, so to say, you know, is really important. And it's one of those areas that I think companies are missing is that human connection, you know, that heartfelt, um, I care about you. I know that was a difficult scenario. You know, what can I do to help you? You know, whether it's going out and getting a fun coffee, you know, but give yourself a moment, 
you know, even if you just have to go into your restrooms and sit and just, you know, it's, you know, you have to figure out what works for you. For me, you know, my dogs, you know, but you don't always have your dog at work. So they help. So speak for a moment then to um, the regional managers or the regional VPs for whom these the community managers report and work for, um, what they can do to recognize their, because they're not always aware of what, of what is happening on a daily basis, because I mean, some of this is de rigueur. Um, so speak to them for a moment about um, how they can, how they can recognize this sort of sometimes silent um, emotional burden that their, their management um, on site is carrying. Well, first of all, I think it's important that you're interacting with your managers, you know, if possible in person weekly and that you're actually seeing every employee and asking them, how is everything going? You know, is there anything I can do for you? You know, because we forget to ask and we don't always, I see so many regionals or directors make the mistake of they go to a property and they sit in the manager's office. You know, they're not walking around, they're not interacting with everyone else. So you don't know what's going on. You know, you've in a sense partitioned yourself from the reality of what happens on the property. Now, again, guys, this is just my opinion and my experience. Um, I think that you need to create a rapport to where your team, whether it's the manager or other employees, feel safe going to each other to say, hey, I just had a difficult conversation. You know, can you help me out? Just want to go over a few things with you and I need a little love. You know, that's, I think, what people need. That's how you keep your top, top talent with your company right. because they need to know that you care. Yeah. So it's being available, being approachable. And if you can't be, which I know we're, we're busy and we have other things that are going on, make sure that they have a network of someone else that they can go to in your absence or when you're busy. So I tend to find that my days were typically not dealing with the things that I wanted to do but making sure that I was available for team members. That's probably the most important thing we can do is engage with our team and make sure that they have the tools and that we're listening to them. Yeah, that's a great way, I think, to wrap things up. So important, really. One of the, the soft skills that helps make um, property management, um, uh, um, I don't want to say endurable, but but uh, to help help uh, focus on the bright side of uh, of of the property management people that want to get more um maria you have so much to share depending based on your background um how do people get in touch with you how do how do if, if somebody wants to hear more about what you have to say about this subject or some of the others that you i've heard you speak about how do people get in touch with you well a couple ways obviously i'm on linkedin and um facebook i also have a youtube station now here's the complicated thing nobody can ever spell my name so my website and all of my handles are under Maria, like you might think it's spelled Pietro Forte. That's the tough part. It's P-I-E-T-R-O-F-O-R-T-E dot -E com or Maria at MariaPietroForte.com. 
I'll give you a phone number too, if you like. It's 805-422-4722. I want to help you. I'm here to help you. So, you know, take advantage of that. I am a consultant, obviously. So, you know, I provide services to help companies with these types of things. But I also like to know what's going on and what is important to you so that on my Monday lives or when Daniel and I do things like this, we can help you. Maria, thank you for sharing some of that wisdom with us today. We really appreciate it. It's been great talking to you. Hope we have a chance to do so again in the future. Okay, thanks for joining Maria and I today on uh, this edition of the Apartment Academy podcast. If you have enjoyed listening to these podcasts and you feel like you could use some advice from some of the professors here at the Apartment Academy, then go to our website, apartmentacademy.com and click help me. We'll send you a questionnaire and provide individualized responses to your answers at no charge that I guarantee will offer you insights on ways you can immediately improve apartment operations at your community. Thanks again. And we look forward to speaking with you next time.